So today we're going to continue the series that we've been working through, Heaven on Earth. And today, with the, the title of today's sermon is Just Like Him. I mean, who doesn't want to be just like him? He is so beautiful. He is so perfect. He is so loving. Who would want to be like any of us? I mean, you put us next to him and we're just nothing next to him. So today is all about heaven on earth and being just like him to bring a little bit of that heaven onto earth. I want to tell you a little bit about a, um, a little questionnaire that an editor did from a newspaper column. He was asking 75 primary school children, what are the words that you most like to hear? And what was really interesting is the same words kept coming up all the time. So here's the top five. Here are the words that primary school children most like to hear. Yes, they like that one. Time to eat. They like that one. I love you. They like that one. That's no surprise. You can go. They love it when you say you can go. And they most like to hear, you can stay up late. You see, these are the girls that, these are the, the words that kids really like to hear. But it may not be what they need to hear. And you know, sometimes they need to hear words they really don't want to hear. Because you see, when they scream, I want that toy. I want it now and I can't wait. It's mine and that's mine and everything else is mine. It's not fair. How come she gets it and I don't get it? I want more chocolate. I want more lollies and I want more chips. No, I'm not making my bed and I'm not cleaning my teeth and I'm not doing my room. In fact, I'm not going to turn off the TV. I'm not going to do anything. I just want to watch cartoons. I want it all and I'm not going to share. You know, when we hear those words as parents, that hits a big red button in me, and I'm going to say some words those kids are definitely not going to he- want to hear. But that's just what they need to hear. That's exactly what they need to hear. You know, Paul says something similar to us. He says, brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. Paul was talking about the use of tongues in this passage to the church, the people at Corinthians. And he was saying to them, you're using tongues to edify yourselves. It's all about what you want. But he says, don't think like children. It's no different to, I want that toy. It's like, I want to edify me with these using these tongues in church. He's saying, don't think like children. In fact, in our understanding, we need to be women and men of God. That's what he wants us to be like, to be more like him. And one of the things that God does is he gives us his words in the Bible. And God always says what he means and he always means what he says. He says what he means and he means what he says. And one of the things he was very, very serious about was that he promised that he was going to reach all the nations. Not just some, but all the nations. And this began, he first mentions it in Genesis. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. This is where it began. This is for all nations. 
And then he gets very specific if we jump over to Malachi. The prophecy there is, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Now this was a prophecy that was consistent in the Old Testament. But you know, there were some people that didn't want to hear those words. You mean, it's not just for the Jews? Aren't we the chosen ones? Now God makes it very clear all through the Old Testament and the New Testament too that his name will be great in all the nations, not just some. But really difficult for the Jewish believers to hear this. They didn't want to hear this. They thought they were special. They thought they were better. They thought they were superior. They didn't like hearing these words. And you know, we're a bit like that sometimes, aren't we? You can read something in the Bible and think, I like that bit, I like those words. And then before you know it, you come across a sticky bit. And you think, oh, that must be for someone else. Yeah, I can actually think of someone in the church that needs to read that. We don't like it. But you know, in our understanding, we need to be women and men of God, not children. You see, we've got to understand that we have to accept all of God's words. Because all of God's words are perfect. None are wrong, not even a smidgen. And the fact that he told the Jews that he wanted the Gentiles to be included is something that they could either reject or accept. And if they reject it, they're rejecting God in the process. So that is really the lead in to the scripture I want to look at today. So pull out your Bibles. And open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 6. Okay, so everyone's got Ephesians in the New Testament. So book of Ephesians and we're looking at chapter 3 starting from verse 1. So verse 1 reads, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Okay, there's a whole lot there already and we're going to miss it if we don't slow down and have a look. So at this point, Paul is in prison. The Roman government has thrown him into prison. So it's interesting, don't you think, that he said, not a prisoner of the Romans. He said, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's a big, big different statement to a prisoner of the Roman government. You see, Paul is actually saying, I'm in prison because I've been preaching that God is all about Jew and Gentile, salvation for all the nations. You see, I'm here for the sake of you Gentiles. God has made it my life purpose to preach to you Gentiles. So I'm not a prisoner here because of the Roman government. I'm here because I'm following God's will. It's God's will that I speak out and let you know some stuff that maybe you don't want to hear. And maybe I end up in prison for that. But he says, I'm here for God's will. Similar, isn't it, to maybe what Jesus said in the garden in Gethsemane, was it not? Not my will, but your will be done. You see, Paul sounding just like him not just like you or I perhaps in the same situation. He's wanting to reflect Jesus in his life. You see, Paul describes Christian life this way. 
having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. It's like just because I've been freed from sin doesn't mean I'm free to do what I choose. He said, I'm enslaved to what God wants me to do for my life. And you know, Paul's real passion was actually not to preach to the Gentiles. That was not Paul's will. If Paul had his own way, he would be preaching to the Jews. Let's have a look and see what he says. He says in Romans 9, 2-4, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed or separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. They're the Jews. See, his passion is for the Jews. That's his will to preach to the Jews. He says more. He says in Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. Right there you can see this is what Paul was all about. If you ask Paul his will, there it is. He's written in black and white for us. He wants to preach to the Jews. That's his will. But God's plans were different to Paul. And you know, sometimes that's very much like you and I. Well, we have an idea of what we think life should all be about and what God should be doing in our lives. But it's a test, isn't it? It's a test to see whether we'll actually repeat Jesus' prayer and just be like him and say, not my will, but yours be well. Yours be done, Jesus. You see, Paul was mimicking Jesus. He was being just like him. And you know, if you and I want to cross the street and make a difference with our lives, if we want to cross the street and talk to people that are different to us, if we want to cross the street and make a difference for Jesus and make his name great, we have to start here with our childish thinking that says, I want the toy, I want it my way, I want to live my life doing what I want to do. We're going to leave it on that side of the street. We're going to cross that street and say, I'm with you, Jesus. I want to be just like you. I want to just do your will. But it may mean we have to hear stuff we don't like to hear. Let's keep going. Ephesians 3. We've just read verse 1. Let's keep going. Verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So we're hearing about a mystery twice now in those verses. And it's Ephesians more than any other book that talks about this mystery. The mystery. What's the mystery? So verse 6 is the crescendo. This is it. He's about to tell us the mystery. You ready? Here's verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Let's look at it again. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You know, that's kind of familiar to us because we've heard it before. We've read it before. But you know, at that time, that was unbelievably out of this world new. That was big news. That was 
Huge. But you know, a lot of people in that day kind of thought, well, is it really through the gospel? Is that the way salvation really occurs? But we're Jews. Hey, we're Jews and we're part of a family. We're the family. Hey, the law was given to us. Go back and have a look in Exodus. We're special. Let me tell you about my heritage. Let me tell you about my father and my father's father and my father's uncle twice removed. Hey, I'm all sorted. I've got a heritage. I'm a Jew. And besides that, I'm circumcised. So obviously I'm saved. You see, the through the gospel was tainted. It was added to. It was adjusted. It was removed. It was replaced. And the Jews had, well, some of the Jews, especially the righteous legalistic ones, had some very different ideas to what God's words were saying about salvation through the gospel. And you know, it's only the Jews that were faithful. They were the remnant. They were the ones that made it through. They're the ones that were considered to be true Jews. And you know, if we're not careful, if we jump now to 2013, we can fall into the same trap. We can fall into this trap of saying, well, you know, I've got some ideas about who should be saved and who shouldn't be saved. And um, yeah, actually, I'm here at church. I'm a Christian. I've been coming here for a while. And um, yeah, do you know, I'm actually starting to think that if people dress like me, yeah, that, that would be important. So if you're going to come to this church, make sure you dress like me and talk like me. You'd need to do your hair like me. Short hair is probably the way to go. You see, we start thinking all these ideas about adding to through the gospel or taking away from through the gospel, and it's dangerous. We think that maybe if you eat certain foods or if you've got that Bible translation, mm, bit dodgy, yeah, I think you're probably on the outer group if you're going to read that one. Maybe that style of evangelism, yeah, I don't think that's probably quite right. Yeah, that's not like me, so it must be wrong. You see, the yardstick isn't just like him. The yardstick all of a sudden becomes just like, moi. if you're not like me, I don't think you're in really, you're in that out group over there. Oh, and that music, you like that type of Christian music? Oof. You're right on the edge there bit worried about you. I think you're backsliding if you're listening to that music. You see, the danger is here today in 2013, just like it was back then. We're just not called Jews and Gentiles. They're just different labels. Do we understand the danger? I want to tell you a story about a dad and two sons. And the dad got very sick. He was elderly and he sat down with his two sons and had a very serious talk with both of them. And he said to both of his very dearly loved sons, he said, you know, it's really important to me that once I'm gone, and I don't have long, it's important to me that you get a good education. It's important to me that you serve others well as I have with my whole life. And it's important to me that you really live out your faith and hold on to your faith and not let it go. That's what's really important to me. That would really honour me when I'm gone. So the father dies and the first son decides to become a lawyer. 
And he does a lot of work for legal aid and he helps a lot of unsavoury kind of people. You know, the social outcasts, the ones that, you know, maybe don't smell so good or look so good. And he works long hours. He gets paid a pittance. And he gets slandered. He gets maligned because people see him associating with the wrong crew and say all sorts of nasty things about him. But he loved his father. He loved his father. And he listened to his father's counsel. And he wanted to follow his father's counsel. The second son, he loved his father too. He wanted to follow his father's counsel too. So he collected a whole heap of his father's things. He kept his belt that he used to wear all the time, the pen that he used to wear or to use. He kept a lot of little memorabilia. He actually had a lot of his father's mannerisms. He talked, he used all the same phrases and the idioms that his father used to use. He used to even comb his hair and have his hair the same way as his dad. He had a shrine built for all his father's things. But he kept to himself pretty much. And you know, both of them loved their father. But only one of them was faithful to what the son's father was really asking them to do. He was saying, be just like me. Serve others with your life. Be faithful. Be faithful to Jesus. But we can interpret that as doing customs and rituals and maybe looking like and sounding like maybe what Christians should look and sound like. And we're nothing like him. We just become what we think we should be like. You see, we have to be careful not to fall into the Jewish trap where it becomes customs only. But you know, the Gentiles, they decided they wanted to play with through the gospel as well. You see, the Gentiles had some funny ideas. They thought it was about good works, or some of them thought it was about good works. You know, God would just, he needs me. I've just done so much. I have done so many good works. I have, man, I've worked on soup kitchens every night for the last 10 years. You know, that'll get me there. He, he can't refuse me. Look how good I am. Look how much I've done. And do you know, that's more rife today than the heritage or the customs. This is, the, this is even a bigger danger today. We fall into this trap because we're in this achievement world. You've got to achieve to be someone important. Let me give you some questions. Think about them. You don't have to talk about them to anyone, but just think about them. What's your initial response? Do you think it's easier for God to love you when you're good? Do you secretly suspect that God chose you because you deserved it? Do you think some people's behavior is so bad that God couldn't possibly save them? See, if you ever think this way, if you ever think this is the right way, You need to be really careful that salvation is by grace, not works. It's a free gift. It's a trap. So both the Jews and the Gentiles did a lot to damage the good name of Jesus. 
They wanted to add to change, shift around this idea of it's through the gospel. No, instead of being just like Jesus, no, they kind of had a different, they had a different idea. The Jews were saying, no, 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 no. It's just like me. Get circumcised and be like me. Become a Jew. That's the way. Gentiles say, no, 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 no. That's not it. Don't like you with all your rules and regulations. It's just like me. Look what I've done. We've got to be really careful. We've got to be careful we don't fall into the same traps. But you know, this mystery, this beautiful mystery of bringing Jews and Gentiles together, of Gentiles also being um, able to be saved, this was something that Paul says, you know, I was given this by revelation. He tells us that in verse 5, we just read it. But you know, this mystery wasn't just given to Paul, it was given to others as well. We know that Peter was given a vision with the sheet with all the animals in it. He was given this same idea, it's for both Jew and Gentile. There were prophecies in the Old Testament saying salvation is for the Gentiles as well. But there's something new and something different that Paul tells us in the mystery. You see, Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8, he says to us the same thing, it's for the Gentiles. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria where the Gentiles live and to the ends of the earth. But notice what Paul is bringing to the mystery. This hasn't been revealed before. From the Old Testament prophets, Jesus talks about extending it to the Gentiles. Now look what Paul is bringing. Come back to verse 6. And now we won't focus on through the gospel. Focus on the word that's repeated three times. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. He said, we're brought together. These guys were so different. And he says, I'm bringing you all together. Yes, you both are entitled to come and to be heirs and to to be partakers in the promise, to be one. But it's together. That's something new and special. That is what is going to make God's name great. If people can see that people that are so different can be together. That's something that the world can't do. That's something that the world struggles with. So why weren't the Jews and Gentiles already together? Well, they had such different ideas. In fact, the Jews hated the Gentiles. They called them dogs and all sorts of horrible names. You know, the Jews said, it's my heritage, it's the customs. So you're over there, you're different to me. And we hate you because we think you're unclean. You see, the righteous, religious Jews considered themselves to be totally separate, superior to the Gentiles. The Jews became proud of their salvation as if they somehow were involved in it. They thought their traditions elevated them above everybody else. The Jews were guilty of spiritual pride. And in the process, they created a wall, a great big wall, a huge big wall between themselves and the Gentiles. But you know, the Gentiles, 
they thought they were superior. And they said, you know what? God has actually rejected some of you guys, so we think perhaps we're superior. But, you know, Paul put them in their place when he told them that you may be grafted into that olive tree. The natural branches may be the Jews, but you were grafted in. The only reason either of you exist in this tree is because you're connected to the root that goes into the soil, and that's faith. But, you know, the Jews, they were proud of their salvation. It's what we've achieved. It's our achievements and our power and our position. So, you know, the Gentiles were also guilty of spiritual pride. And as soon as we have spiritual pride... That creates a wall. So the Gentiles created a great big wall between themselves. And notice this wall doesn't just separate people. It goes all the way through to separate us from God too. The wall doesn't just stop. If we create walls with one another, that wall goes all the way through. You see, we have to be very careful that we don't fall into this underlying problem of spiritual pride. Because spiritual pride does this yucky thing. It makes my little faults and issues and brokenness and problems small and your faults and your problems and your issues huge. So that must mean I'm superior. We've got to be so careful we don't fall into this trap. Paul tells us in Ephesians, we looked at this last week, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, these walls, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And he's talking about all those ceremonial laws, customs. He's not talking about the moral law, the right and wrong. He's talking about the customs. So you see, Jesus comes in and he breaks those walls. He breaks those walls and he says, do you know what? These walls are gone. The wall between Jew and Gentile is gone. But you know, he breaks the wall between us and God too. He breaks the whole lot. And in the process, he says, it's not just like you. You're neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. No, no, no. It's us now. And we knew It's the fact that we're new in him. We're a new body. That's what means we can come together. There's no way you and I can be the same unless we're the same in Jesus. We're new in him. That's how we can be one. That's how we can be united. And that's how we can show the world that God's name is great. That we can get on. There can be peace between people and there can be peace with God. We keep stuffing it up by putting walls between each other. We've got to watch it that the walls don't reappear because then we're no different to the world. You see, it's easy to think that people need correcting. People don't need correcting. What we need is we're all broken. We're all full of sin. We need a saviour for sin, not a corrector. We're not mistakes. We're sinners. We're not mistakers. We've got to stop thinking that somehow we've just got to make sure someone changes according to what I think they should do. You know, we've got to be so careful that spiritual pride doesn't just seep into us. 
it creeps in oh so slowly because there's no way we're going to be attractive to people in the world if they think they've got to become more like us. No, 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 no. You've got to be more like him and he does it for you. We get it all mixed up. You see, Paul says a little bit further on, he says in verse 7, he says, I became a servant of this gospel, sorry, in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. We need to consider carefully the fellowship of the mystery. That means you and I get involved in this mystery, that we're one together. People that are different, Jews or Gentiles, males or females, slaves or free, no matter what you eat, no matter what you dress, no matter what you look like, we're one in Jesus. None of us are more privileged. None of us are more superior because we're all heirs in the same method. It's through his gospel. It's nothing we do. It's nothing to do with our heritage. It's nothing to do with our customs. We get a little bit uncomfortable with people that are different to us. That's natural. It doesn't mean we don't feel uncomfortable. We do. But that doesn't mean they're wrong and we're right. It just means different. We've got to stop jumping to the conclusion that they're wrong. We're wrong too. We're all wrong. We're all dirty. We all need cleansing. We've got to start there, not at what makes you wrong and me right. The starting point is we're both wrong and we need him to make us right. There's a big difference. So we've got to be careful that we're not rebuilding these walls. You see, let's just say, hmm, let's just say Leanne reads the message version of the Bible. And because, can't believe you're reading the message version of the Bible. Oh my goodness. Well, that doesn't have 24,000 different commentaries in all the Greek and I can't believe you're reading that. No, no, I read the King James, not the New King James, the King James, because that's the only Bible that you should read if you want to be a real Christian. It's a much better Bible. Let me give you 50 reasons why it's a much better Bible, and let me tell you why you're wrong with the message. So if I've got a superior Bible, obviously I'm a superior Christian. It's that easy. It's that easy. Spiritual pride will take us right there within... Five seconds. So easy. It's a danger, spiritual pride. We don't want to fall into it. And the really yucky thing, the really yucky thing, is when that spiritual pride gets between me and Leanne, see, now we have not us being you in Jesus. We have me and you. And you know what I've just done with my spiritual pride? I've just created a wall. But you know, that wall isn't just between Leanne and I. I've just done damage to God and I. It goes all the way. Don't think it just stops there. We do damage to our relationship to God. We've got to think carefully before we start thinking that people need to be more like us. 
we've got to know how important that this line goes all the way. Let me show you three scriptures to support it. John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And again, in the next chapter, who, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have seen. They're connected. The great commandment is connected. It's two parts, but it's connected. Love God with all your heart and love one another. Here's a third. John's really ramming this point in the same chapter, the very next verse. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Any brother and sister. You know, Jesus assured us, and through his whole life and ministry, he made it very clear that our relationship with God is the single most important relationship we have. But we need to understand that our relationship with each other is connected to our relationship with him. The wall doesn't stop. It goes all the way. So who are the group of Jews and Gentiles today in 2013? Who are the us and them? Who are the in-group, the chosen ones, Who are the out-group? Who are the Gentiles? How does it look in day-to-day? Because we don't have the Jews and Gentile groups now. So it's tempting to say, oh, that's just relevant from back then. Weren't they silly thinking they could add to the gospel? Weren't they just really bad with all that spiritual pride? No, we'd never be like that. Wouldn't we? What's preventing his name being great? What walls are we putting up? We saw how spiritual pride was their underlying problem. What does spiritual pride look like today in 2013? One of the ways that we look at problems in life and our culture looks at lots of different problems in life and we create a film or a movie because we're visual people. And you know, movies are great. I love going to the movies. You can go there, you can relax, you can have a laugh, you can... Take some time out. You can do something nice with your teenagers. You you can have a lovely time at the movies. And they're a great way to relax. But, you know, movies are an incredibly powerful form of communication. Do we really understand what's being communicated to us when we're sitting in the movie theatre, when we're sending our kids off to the movies? And movies sometimes do a great job of telling us about life's problems. But most of the time, the movies also suggest to us what the solution is to life's problems, which very often don't include through the gospel. So we've got to be real careful about the solutions the movies are suggesting to us. Young people, if you're age 20 and below, think about the next time you go to a movie. Be very careful. What you think is truth 
and what is a story or a deception. I don't know how many teenagers I've seen in my counselling rooms when I'm sitting there and I ask them a question and I say, why do you think that? They'll quote me a movie or a song or a TV series. It gets very confusing what's the truth and what's not the truth. So movies can be fun and movies can um, be a great form of entertainment and movies can show us a problem in a very real way in 2013 terms. And that's why I want to show you a movie trailer today because in this movie trailer it shows us some problems, some walls that we create in 2013, every day. But it also suggests some solutions, which are not biblical solutions. In fact, they're deceptive solutions. You don't want to take on board those solutions. So you've got to know what the Bible says and what Jesus says are the solutions to become more like him, not more like the movie stars. So the movie I want to talk to you about is called Silver Linings Playbook. Can you just tell me if you've seen it? Can you just put your hand up if you've seen it? Two, three, four. Wow, five. No, not five. Five. Okay. So most of you don't know it. <clears throat> well, let me tell you what this movie suggests the answer is. Can you guess? Sex. That's one solution suggested. Romantic love. It's the solution to all life's problems. And guess what? The boy gets the girl at the end of the movie. Have I ruined it for you? Or is that just the ending of every single Hollywood romantic movie? So it's a rom-com. It's a romantic comedy, this movie. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so while it's giving perhaps, well, definitely the wrong solutions, the reason I want to show it to you is it shows us the problems and the walls that we create between groups of people, the categories, the new categories that we create between groups of people. We want to see the different face of pride in 2013 because it's the same underlying problem that was behind the Jews and the Gentiles. It's still here. So what we've got to do is think carefully about something that may be difficult to watch or may be difficult to think about because we can't think like a child in understanding we need to be men and women of God. So when we think about pride and the problem in today's society and the differences we create, we need to be very careful that we don't dodge it. Say, I don't want to do that. Or, geez, I can think of some people in this church that they got that problem. I hope they're watching. We've got to be careful not to dodge it because we don't like being convicted of the truth especially when it relates to our pride. But you know what's beautiful about Jesus? He gives us a full dose of truth, and we need it. But you know what else he does? He gives us a full dose of grace so we can handle it. So Jesus is loving us when he gives us these hard words that we may not want to hear. He's loving us by telling us the truth that maybe we don't want to hear. 
and he gives us the grace to be able to handle it. So we don't have to dodge it. We don't have to deny it. We don't have to say it's everyone else's problem. Okay. So this movie, this is, um, you'd probably describe this as like a gritty kind of movie. I am not recommending you go and see it. It's, I think it's probably an MA15+. plus. It's violent. It's got a lot of swearing in it. <clears throat> I probably wouldn't take my kids to it. The trailer's okay. The trailer's really telling us about the problems. The trailer's got um, one section which um, some people may shudder because one solution is sex. The girl seems to think if she just has sex with everyone, then that'll solve all life's problems. But you know what? That's a great... Um, demonstration of what the world is telling us day in, day out, whether we want to recognise it or not. That's a suggested solution out there. So we've got to recognise that's being suggested to our kids every day. So I'm not saying that's right and I'm not saying go and get this movie or go and watch this movie. But it shows us the brokenness of the world really well. Just like the brokenness the Jews and Gentiles had. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about the characters in the movie. So, see the guy on the left? You can see half his face. His name's Pat, played by a guy called Bradley Cooper. And he's got a mental illness called um, bipolar. Bipolar is when you have the extreme highs, which is manic. And you think you're Superman, you just do everything. And then he has the extreme lows, which is depression. So that's this guy. And he, the movie begins with him coming out of psychiatric hospital and coming home. The girl on the right, her character's name is Tiffany, and that's Jennifer Lawrence who plays that role. Then there's Pat's dad, Robert De Niro, Pat's mum, Jackie Weaver, and then Pat's friend, Chris Tucker. So you'll see all of them in this trailer. Okay, so the plot really is that Pat's coming home. He's been in this um, place for about eight months. And the reason he was there is because he caught his wife committing adultery with this guy and he just bashed this guy up pretty violently. So he pleaded insanity and off he had to go into this um, psychiatric care. So he's coming back because he thinks the solution to his problem is to get his wife back. And that's really the plot of the movie. That's what he's trying to do. But he runs into Tiffany. Tiffany has her own set of problems. She um, has been through a lot of depression and been on a lot of medication, like he has. And, yeah, her solution to life has been sex, more sex, as much as she can get. So it's really um, quite a good picture of a really common problem in the world and common solutions tried by the world. So what I want you to notice is these main two characters, even though both of them are broken and struggling with a mental illness, they both want to point the finger at the other one and say they're worse. And while they're telling each other they're worse, all the family around them are saying, you're worse than us. So It's this categorising that's the problem. It's like we're superior to you. You have a mental illness and then two people with a mental illness are saying, but you're worse than me, so I'm superior to you. So what I want you to do is notice these quotes in the movie. There's a teenage boy that comes knocking at the door saying, can I do an interview for a school project on mental illness? 
because there's a whole heap of noise in the house and he thinks this might be exciting. See, he's categorizing those with mental illness and me. Then listen for when Pat says, you've got poor social skills, you have a problem. To which Tiffany replies, I have a problem. You say more inappropriate things than appropriate things. And then watch out for this line. Pat says, she's crazy, she followed me. To which Tiffany replies, calm down, crazy. Interesting, hey? It's the same spiritual pride. You're worse than me. I'm better than you. You need correcting. Not, we're actually all broken here. Okay, have a watch. So that's it. Did you hear the lines? Did you hear the amazing discussion between these two people trying to be one up with them? Let me run through the solutions that you can see just from the trailer. What the movie's suggesting is a solution to life's problems. Pat says right at the end, if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. That's the solution. Just stay positive. No matter what's going on, just stay positive. Stay positive. That'll do it. Stay positive. Now, that reminds me of years ago, there was a big psychological push for doing lots of positive affirmations with clients. So what psychologists used to do is um, say you came to see me and I was, you know deciding that this was the right thing to do to give you positive affirmation. So you'd go home and you'd stand in front of the mirror and you'd say, I look really good today, I'm a really good person and I'm great. And you'd have to say that five times every morning and five times every afternoon. This is positive spinning affirmation stuff. Do you know what they found? It did more harm than good. They were worse off. So we've got to be careful with just this idea of this is going to fix all our problems. Positive. Then Pat's dad, you know, that's Robert De Niro at the end when he's giving him his a hug. Reach out and grab every opportunity. Notice he says, it's a sin if you don't. Did you notice that? A sin if you don't. Oh, that must be bad. That, that, oh, okay. There must be a righteousness. This, maybe this is biblical. What he's saying is reach out and grab every opportunity you can for romantic love. And this is the one we've got to watch out for. Teenagers, watch out for this. How many movies do we go to? And this is the solution. It'll all be okay when you meet the man or the woman. But this is a dangerous one. This is a really dangerous one. It's like the best you can hope for, the best solution you can hope for is in a horizontal graze. Like you gaze and watch and there's the solution, romantic love. There's no vertical agape love. You know the problem with romantic love? It's often eros or lust or phileo. Warm. I feel all warm and lovely. The problem with those types of love is they fail. It's human love. You know what we need? We need God's agape love. It never fails. God says what he means and he means what he says. He will never fail you, ever. That's what's so great about the gospel. It's good news. He's the one that can sort it. He's the real solution. It's, I mean, the the movie's looking at this, this brokenness through mental illness, but you can see the applications. It's no matter what categories we try to put people in. Let's go back to the solutions. The psychiatrist is saying you need a strategy. 
And Tiffany, well, she has sex with everyone. She seems to think that's going to work, but it didn't work too well for her. So we, we need to be, I guess, a little bit more savvy to see the spiritual pride that underlies this categorizing of us and them, haves and have-nots. We've got to watch that that doesn't creep in especially in the church where Jesus has made us one in him. We're giving God a bad name when we're trying to make everyone just like us instead of just like him. That's what it's all about. You know, we started with that little boy, I want that toy. And we really do need to watch that in our thinking and in our understanding, we're spiritual men and women of God. That's really important, that we face the hard truths. We face the words we don't want to hear when God's telling us that or convicting us of something we don't want to even feel. But you know, in matters of faith, we need this beautiful childlike faith. I love this picture. In understanding, be men and women of God. But in matters of faith, it's this childlike faith that Jesus has got it right. We need to be just like him. We can go to him. But do we go to him when we're broken? Do we believe he's going to help us? Do we have that childlike trust that he's there to help us in our brokenness? We need less doctrine and more faith. We need less correction and more directing people to our saviour. The world needs less of us and more of him. The world needs to be more like him, not us. Let's make his name great by becoming more like him. Paul says in Galatians, As many of you as were baptised into Christ, into this one body, we're new people, we're new men and women now in one body, we've got to put him on, become more like him. We need to make his name great in all the nations, for all the nations. We've got to work and pray for God's worldwide mission. You know the church, that's you and I, wherever we are, we should be assigned to the world that people of totally divergent backgrounds and interests can live together can be at peace and can be one. The church, wherever in you and I are, should be assigned to the nations of the world of how to break down hostility that keeps them apart. The church, wherever we are, should be assigned to the nations that there's no power on earth that can pin God down to one side or the other. God is present on both sides. God's loving presence is universal. And the church, wherever we are, should be witnessing to this reality. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation in him. Jesus has reconciled you and I through the cross. Jesus has reconciled you and I with God through the cross. We now have a message of reconciliation. 
we're called to something far greater than becoming more like him just for our own growth and maturity and sanctification. We're called to be more like him because we have a message with a real solution through the gospel. But we've got to be more like him and hold on to his hand every day and ask him not to trip up on the pride that causes divisions and categories and groupings and differences and, diver- and, and, and this contention. We've got to hold on to his hand and say, we're new in you. We can be more like you because you empower us to be more like you. We are the new Jesus to the world. We are Jesus to the world. They're not going to get it from anyone else. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord, for climbing on that cross, for cleansing us, for fixing the problems that we had. Thank you for tearing down that wall, the sin that separated us from God. And Lord, thank you for tearing down that wall between each other. Lord, help us not to rebuild those walls. Help us not to put walls between each other and then create a wall between, between you and I, between you and the church, between, between each one of us in our relationship with you. We don't want to be estranged from you. We don't want to be separated from you. Help us to hear the hard truths. But thank you for your grace that enables us to hear those hard truths and to come to you to help us to become more like you. I pray for each person today, Lord Jesus. Help them to know your beautiful love that you poured out for us on the cross. Help us to know that you are with us every day, enabling us and empowering us to be one. In your beautiful, precious name, and everyone said, Amen.